The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Good morning. Um, I'm going to read the passage this morning. And if you would all stand with me, it's going to be in Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 19. And buckle your seatbelts, it's going to be a little bit long. All right. Um, So starting in verse 19. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has opposed me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now in um, chapter 2, verse 1, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? The servant answered, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you, so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land, and how you came to people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge." My Lord, she said, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you gather barley today, and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law, whom she had worked with, and said, The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him, because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. 
Naomi continued, the man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. Ruth the Moabitess said, he also told me, stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for letting us experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, Lord, and uh, we just ask that you continue that um, as Pastor Josh comes and brings your word, Lord, that you would let our hearts be open, that um, you would let our minds be not distracted with the things of this world or our to-do lists or um, whatever. You have brought us here, Lord, to hear from you, and Lord, just let Pastor Josh be your hands and feet to deliver this message, speak through him, Lord, and help us to have hearts that are open to you. We just love you and help our, our focus to just be completely on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our darkest moments will often give way to the brightest situations in our lives. Yesterday, I had the opportunity of going with a gentleman in our church down to the pregnancy care center where they were hosting a men's prayer breakfast. Uh, at that particular meeting, they were sharing some of what the Pregnancy Crisis Center accomplishes, some of its missions, its values, and uh, we got to enjoy dinner and, a, a, I'm sorry, breakfast, as well as a, a time of prayer. And, and while we were there, they shared some stories of some of the young women who had gone through difficult seasons and how God had used that place to really be an encouragement and a help to them. Uh, one of the stories that they shared was about a young woman uh, from Fresno State and, and the Fres Fresno Pregnancy Crisis Center had parked one of their mobile units uh, across the street from the college and on one particular day this, this lady came into the mobile unit and began to communicate how she had gotten pregnant unexpectedly and you, you can imagine as, as a young woman how that would just kind of be overwhelming to get that news and she just she really didn't know where to turn uh, she didn't know where to go she was struggling with you know how to move forward and and those types of situations and so the lady who was working at the mobile unit she took the opportunity just to counsel her uh, to pray with her and at one point she opened up the scriptures and and begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and how this young woman could find hope even in the midst of this difficult situation, even in the midst of this overwhelming circumstance in her life and in this moment where she didn't know what to do and, and she didn't know where to turn, that Jesus Christ would be there for her and, and they told the story about how she in that moment bowed her head and prayed to accept Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior at the mobile unit of the Pregnancy Crisis Center, uh, mo a mobile unit bus there. And, and it was interesting to see how God took a situation where for this young woman was very overwhelming. She, she didn't know what to do. She didn't know where to go. And yet God used that in her life uh, to bring her to a place of realizing her need for a Savior. And I want to remind us today that God has a way of taking the difficult situations in our lives, uh, the difficult and hard circumstances of our lives, and, and turning them around in a way that can bring ultimate glory to His Son and also be that which is good for us. The reality is this, though. Whenever we're going through a difficult circumstance, 
Uh, whenever we find ourselves in an overwhelming situation, when, whenever we find ourselves in a place where we're having to interact with, you know, difficult people, it's very easy in that moment to become very, very bitter. It's easy for us to become cynical. It's easy for us to get jaded in our perspective of what's happening around us. And that really does lead us to the theme of our Bible study this morning, and that is simply this. God's God's providence can move us from being bitter to feeling blessed. We're going to unpack that a little bit further here today, but as we turn to the passage here in Ruth chapter number one, I do want to ask you this question, and that's this. Are you bitter this morning? Maybe you're bitter at someone. Maybe you're bitter at a, at a situation. Maybe, maybe you're bitter over some circumstances that you find yourself in. Maybe you're even, you're even bitter at God. So I asked you the question this morning, are you bitter? Are you cynical about the way your life has turned out? Are you bitter about the way your relationship has turned out? Are you maybe cynical and bitter about the way your marriage has, has kind of played out? Maybe it's, maybe it's somebody in your life. Maybe it's the way your finances or health have, have gone. I'm asking this question. Are there, are there roots of bitterness in your soul? From the passage that Cassie just read a few moments ago, I I want you to see three aspects that deal specifically with bitterness. Since we already had a word of prayer, we're going to dive right into our Bible study, so let's start in verse number 19, all right? The Bible says in Ruth chapter 1 verse 19, it says, Now the two of them, Ruth and Naomi, went until they came to Bethlehem. You'll you'll remember from our previous messages that 10 years earlier, they had moved away from Bethlehem and they had now come to a land that God had forbid them to. And and now because uh, Naomi's husband is dead and now that her two children are dead, she's coming back home. The Bible says, and it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. Here's this family and they're coming home. It's been a decade. It's been 10 years. And, and the women of the village said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She says, I went out full and The Lord has brought me home again empty. (laughs) Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. I want you to notice a couple of things about the passage that we just read. You see, back in Old Testament days, back in these ancient traditions, a name was not just a name. In fact, names had very specific meanings. And the name Naomi literally means sweet or sweetness. 
Uh, we have a Naomi here today with us in the service. And, and the word means sweet. You could just imagine that Naomi was, was an effervescent type individual. She was sweet to be around. She was lovely to be in the presence of. This is just her personality. This is just who she was. And she comes back to the village that she had been away from for 10 years. And the other ladies in the village start scratching their head and they're saying, is this, is this Naomi? She used to have this glow. And she used to have this kind of pep in her step. Something's changed. Something's different. Naomi says to the other lady, she said, you don't call me sweet anymore. Don't call me Naomi. She says, call me Mara. Just like Naomi means sweet or sweetness, Mara, Mara means bitter. And cynical, irritated. You see, Naomi, she had went away sweet. She had went away with kind of this joy, and, and now she was returning home, and she was bitter of soul. Her husband had died. Her two children had died. She thought she was moving to a better life and her bad life actually just ended up getting worse and so she's coming back home and there's no more joy on her face. There's no more happiness in her soul and she looks at her friends and says, don't you dare call me Naomi anymore. Don't you dare call me sweet. I'm bitter, I'm upset, and I'm angry because God has dealt very badly with me. She said, call me Mara. You see, if we're not careful, and I'm speaking to all of us this morning, bitterness, bitterness can easily inform our identity. That's exactly what happens in this passage. Naomi, that was her name. That was her identity. She was sweet. And now she's saying, I don't even want to be referred to as sweet. I don't want to be thought of as sweet. I don't want people to view me that way. No, I want you to view me the way I view me, and that's bitter. I'm upset. I'm frustrated at God. I'm cynical about life. It's not just what's going on in my head. This is now who I am. I'm bitter. I'm bitter. You see, if we're not careful... Bitterness can easily inform our identity, like we see in the situation with Naomi, but then, but then, it transforms our personality. Have you ever seen this happen to someone? They allow a root of bitterness to kind of get into their mind. Over and over they play over what this person did to them, what this circumstance did to them, what those people said about them, and they play it again and again in their mind. Why didn't my marriage turn out the way I thought it would turn out? How come my kids haven't grown up the way I thought they would grow up? How come my health and my finances, how come life's not going the way I'd planned? God has dealt bitterly with me. And it's his fault. And that's where she is. What had started with informing her identity was now transforming her personality. And this is the person that she's now becoming. And this leads us to the first thing I want to look at this morning. If you're taking notes, I hope you'll jot it down. But I want you to see in this passage a heart of bitterness. 
a heart of bitterness. That's, that's what Naomi has. You see, bitterness can quickly affect a person's mind. I think we've all been tempted with this. Somebody starts gossiping about us. People who said they were our friends and said they would be there for us have turned their back on us. They've thrown us under the bus. Situations and circumstances in our life did not go the way we planned. Our health is falling apart. Our finances are unraveling. And all of a sudden, we, we find that this bitterness now is, uh, is affecting our, our mind. And, and we're consumed with thoughts about how life is going wrong, how our career is going wrong, our relationships are going wrong. And it, it just continues to just affect our mind. But you see, bitterness doesn't just affect our mind, but eventually it infects our personality. And before we know it, it's not just in our mind. It's not just in our thinking. It's not just in our thoughts. Now, all of a sudden, it just kind of is an energy, an aura that goes everywhere we go. And people come into our presence and they're like, is that, is that who I think it is? Or something different? <laughs> they used to smile. There's no smile. They used to have joy. There's no joy. There used to be a sweetness about them. It's not sweetness. Is that? It's a heart of bitterness. In Luke chapter number 17, Jesus gives a promise to believers. Now, oftentimes when we think about Jesus' promises, we think, woo, they bring a lot of hope. They encourage us. But this is just as much a promise as any of the others. But notice what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. Now, how many of you are glad you came to church today to hear that one? <laughs> Like, praise the Lord. Pastor, you're supposed to encourage us. <laughs> you're supposed to kind of build a, how is this encouraging? I, I'm just here to say that if you're a human being who lives in this broken world, interacting with sinful people, and because there's a devil and an enemy in heaven who's out against you, it's impossible, but that offenses will come. That is to say, you, you will interface with difficult people at your work, church, with your family, unpleasant situations will happen just like they happened for Naomi. They're going to happen to you. Life is probably not going to turn out the way you thought it was. Marriage isn't going to be exactly everything that you hoped it would. There are going to be elements of your existence where offenses will come now i think the guys are going to throw up a picture of a of an animal Any, anybody know anybody know what this animal is all right let's get interactive for a second what, what do we have up here some of the kids in here some of the teens you guys know what this is what is this hey good job what is it's a porcupine there's a porcupine um it's been my observation personally that that bitter people bitter people are a lot like porcupines <laughs> What do you mean by that? They have a lot of good points. <laughs> but they're extremely uncomfortable to be around. <laughs> well, if you knew what happened here, and if you knew what they said, and if you knew what God did to me, and everything they're saying is like, yeah, that's, that's true. 
They have a lot of good points. I'm here to say this. In the broken world in which we live, there's, there's a lot that we could get bitter about. There is not a person in this room who has escaped hardship, trial, and difficulty. Every one of you on some level have been through difficult seasons in life. It's a part of being human. Offenses will come. But what do we do with it? What do we do with those offenses? What do we do with those difficulties? We see, we see Naomi in this passage had a heart of bitterness, but let's keep reading through our text, all right? We're in a Bible study, so let's just, let's just keep moving through it. Here's what the Bible says in verse number 22. We'll read a few more verses. I want you to see this. It says, so Naomi returned and, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest, the Bible says in verse 2, there was a, a relative, or someone, I'm sorry, there's a relative of Naomi's husband, a, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, all right? His name was Boaz. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please, let, let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him whose side I may find favor. And, and she said to her, go, go my daughter. And so she, Ruth, went and left and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Notice this next phrase. If you're used to writing in your Bible, maybe you'll want to underline this. It says, and she so happened. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Notice that little phrase there. It says, and, and she just so happened. It, in our modern vernacular, maybe in the 21st century, we might say it like this. Oh, oh, lucky for her. Hey, what a coincidence. She just happened to end up at Boaz's field. It's like, hmm. Now, I want you to think of God, just kind of as an analogy of sorts. I want you to think of God as, as working through one of two hands. If you can picture this in your mind's eye for just a moment here briefly. I want you to see God first is working through his, his what we'll call his visible hand of miracles. All right, let's, let's just start there. This, this is when God works in a way like we see in the Old Testament where an angel shows up. And God speaks from heaven, and his voice is audible, and he's visibly seen. I mean, this is, Jesus comes on the scene, and the sick are healed, and the supernatural happens, and the miraculous takes place. This is God's visible hand of miracle. Now, man, I'm thankful God works that way. But there's also another hand that God uses when he's intervening in the lives of human beings. And not only do we have his visible hand of miracle, but oftentimes he uses his invisible hand of providence. His invisible hand of providence. As you read through the book of Ruth, Nowhere in this passage will God visibly come onto the scene. 
There's no place in this book where the, where the heavens open up and, and God speaks audibly to his people. It doesn't happen. There, there really is no real supernatural miracle that takes place in his, this book. It, it, it's, it's not God's visible hand of miracle that is moving in these few chapters, but rather it's his invisible hand of of providence that we're going to see working all throughout the pages of these chapters. It was C.H. Spurgeon, the preacher from the 1800s. He was referred to as the, the prince of preachers. He was an eloquent communicator. He had one of the first mega churches in the Western world. He pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England. And, and this is what he had to say on this subject. He said, he said, the providence of God is the great protector of our lives. And under divine care, we are perfectly safe from danger. Psalms 145 verse 17 says it this way, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. This leads us to the next thing I want you to notice this morning, and that is this. Not only do we see this heart of bitterness displayed in Naomi, but I want you to see, secondly, the, the hand of providence. The hand of providence. I want to remind you today that God is, heavenly, God is heavily involved in your life. He is involved in your life even when it seems like he is distant. Even when it feels like he's being silent. His invisible hand of providence is always working all things together for your good and his ultimate glory, whether you're sensing it or not. In fact, in this passage that we just read, you'll actually see two ways in which God's invisible hand of, pro of providence works in Ruth's situation. I'll give you two statements. First of all, God's providence is made evident through his sovereign plans. His sovereign plans. That is to say, there are things that God in his all-knowingness, in his sovereignty, there are things that God does, that God works out, that we're not aware of, that we don't see, that we don't even understand, but that is working all things together for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory. One theologian said it this way, God is always at work in a thousand different ways in your life and you might be aware of two or three of them. You see, his invisible hand of providence is, is always at work and, and we see his sovereign plan even played out in these verses. The, the Bible tells us in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it refers to this thing called the gleanings. The gleanings. You see, in Old Testament ancient times, uh, uh, there was a way that the poor would get, would get taken care of. In the Pentateuch, there were several laws for the children of Israel to follow. And 
If God's people followed those laws, the poor and the less fortunate would have food to partake of. And and the way it worked is if you were a rich man, a wealthy man, you had land, you were a farmer or a rancher of sorts, when, when your servants would go out to the fields to harvest the food, as your servants were out there and they were harvesting the wheat or they were harvesting the barley or if they were grabbing food, at any point, if any of that harvest fell onto the ground, if it, if it slipped from the people's fingers somehow and, and, and fell onto the dirt, uh, a servant there of the children of Israel, they were not allowed to pick it back up. If it fell, it was supposed to stay there. And then what would happen is when the servants would be done, the poor and the less fortunate were to follow behind the reapers and they were allowed to pick up whatever got left behind, whatever got dropped. It's called these handfuls on purpose. In fact, there are many countries, even in the world today, that still practice this tradition. They will leave parts of their harvest behind for those who are poor, for those that are less fortunate. And that's how God wanted these individuals to be taken care of. And and all this was set up years and years and years before Ruth ever came on the scene. It was part of God's sovereign plan. And, And even in God's sovereignty, before Ruth even came on the scene, God was already orchestrating a plan by which she would be provided for, by which she would have food to eat, by which she would have the resources to sustain herself even in the midst of this difficult time in her life. You see, it was God's invisible hand of providence through his sovereignty and through his planning that was sustaining Ruth and sustaining Naomi in this difficult season in their life. But it wasn't, God's providence wasn't just evident through his sovereign plan, but I see secondly in this passage that God's providence is made evident through his, if you want to write this down, his divine appointments. The Bible says here, and it just so happened that Ruth went to Boaz's field. Now, I'm here to say this. This was not just a happy coincidence. This was not just Ruth being lucky. This was God's invisible hand of providence creating a divine appointment. A divine appointment. Uh, This man, Boaz, was what would be referred to as Ruth's kinsman redeemer her kinsman redeemer. That's not a term we use in America today. But in ancient biblical times, a, a, a distant relative who, who say you had a, an individual, this Ruth in this case, her husband passed away, her deceased husband, which means that, that Boaz would actually have a legal obligation to provide for her. It was called a kinsman redeemer. This was a male relative who, according to various laws in the Pentateuch, had the responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, in danger, or in need. And in the case that we see in this passage, this kinsman redeemer, this one who had a legal obligation to her uh, welfare, his name was Boaz. Now, just like Naomi's name had significant meaning, Boaz's name has some significant meaning as well. His name simply means strong man. How many of you would have liked to have your parents had named you, you know, strong man, you know? 
or just the man or this, this, you know, buff dude. That'd be a cool name, right? Just like give you a little ego boost there and you'd be ready to go. And that's what, that was what Boaz's name, that's what it meant. In fact, according to 1 Kings chapter number 7, verse 21, we find out that years later when the wise King Solomon had the temple being constructed, that in the front of this vast temple were these large pillars. At the bottom of the pillar, Solomon wrote the name Boaz. Boaz. Why? Because Boaz means strength. It means strong. It means dependable. And that's exactly the type of guy, that's exactly the type of character that we see played out in the life of Boaz. In fact, if you keep reading now to verse number four, the Bible says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said unto the reapers, he said to his servants, he said, the Lord be with you. And they answered, all his servants, those that worked for him, answered, the Lord bless thee. So Boaz said, the Lord be with you. And the people responded, the Lord bless thee. Now, what's interesting about that is in these ancient times when these children of Israel would go to a synagogue, when they would go to what they would call their version of church, if we can call it that, when they went to church, when the time of gathering was over at the very end, the priest would say something to the set of, he would say, now the Lord be with you. And all the people who are there, they would all respond in unison, the Lord bless thee. It was kind of a formal way that they would and their, their church services. So here's what's interesting. Boaz, a wealthy businessman, he comes to this workplace, a small business that he owns, and as he's there, he's literally treating it kind of like a church service. This is a, it's a very godly man. He comes on the scene and he says to his servants, just like a priest would say to the congregation, he said, the Lord be with you, and all the servants responded, the Lord bless thee. We get a sense to his character. We get a sense to Boaz's godliness in this passage. We get a sense as to who he is. He was a good businessman. Now, I want to take two minutes just to park this for just a moment here because here's this man that the Bible says is extremely wealthy. Obviously, he owns lands. He has people working for him. He has tons of of, people. harvest and fruit and things along those lines and so we we find here this is a very wealthy man and and I find it in our culture today 21st century in the political landscape that we see that that oftentimes wealth is put into one of two categories they're they're not with everybody but sometimes there's this idea that that rich people are bad and poor people are good rich people if they got rich they they had to have done something wrong or manipulative they they have to be selfish to some degree if they're rich after all they have to be stealing and and there's this idea a little bit in our culture that rich people are bad and, and poor people are just they're just a little bit better it's two categories it's almost like if you're poor then somehow you're you know you're more noble you're kind of, you know, you, you just, you, there's a little bit more, you know, you're honest. You got integrity, and that's why you're poor, because, you know, you're doing things right, but you don't got no money. And there's a sense. And oftentimes that slips into the church. Like rich people are bad. Man, uh, man if somebody's rich, obviously they, they must not be generous. <laughs> they must not be giving money to the Lord. <laughs> 
they're driving a car like that, if they live in a house like that, then, ugh, you know, something, something must be wrong. And, and here's this person over here, and they're a, they're a little bit poor, and maybe, you know, and there's this idea that they're a little bit more holy, and maybe they're a little better, and they're a little bit more good, and there's almost this identity of kind of being a little, a little bit more of a superior Christian because they're poor. And I'm here to say this, there's nothing biblical about that perspective. It's more nuanced than that. There's not two categories, rich people, you know, bad, poor people, good. Honestly, as you look through the scriptures, specifically Proverbs, you're going to see more, there's four categories, and that is this. There are rich people who are bad, but there's also rich people who are good, <laughs> as we see played out in Boaz's life, Abraham's, the others. On the flip side, there are poor people who are good, and there are poor people who are bad. And in the church world, we want to be careful to have a paradigm and a perspective that recognizes just because someone's wealthy doesn't mean that they're automatically bad, and just because somebody's poor doesn't mean that they're automatically morally or spiritually superior. In fact, I would go as far to say that if, if, if you're a man of God, if you're a, a person of God, that you should have a reputation and a testimony for working extremely hard. In fact, I personally believe, as we see played out in the scriptures, if, if Christ's spirit is working through you, then you should have a reputation and a testimony of being one of the hardest workers at your workplace and that you work with integrity and that you work with honesty and you have a great work ethic and you get things done and, and as a byproduct, you get money in return you become wealthy for it. there's nothing wrong with having money there is nothing wrong with having lots of money just like there's nothing intrinsically wrong with having no money and, and if we're not careful we can get into this idea we get these limiting beliefs about the fact well i can never have money because that would make me morally or spiritually inferior that is just not a biblical worldview whatsoever if god has given you the ability to work if he's given you the ability to make money you should make all the money you can to the glory of god and be generous with it and if god in his sovereignty has chosen for you to be poor at seasons in your life you should live in a spirit of contentment that god is sovereign god is on the throne and you can trust him it's a biblical perspective so as you begin reading all the way through this passage starting in verse number eight all the way down through verse number 18 you find how god providentially uses this very wealthy man by the name of boaz as his invisible hand of providence to do above and beyond anything that ruth could have imagined and we see this played out in verses number eight and nine you'll see where boaz has his servants he has them help and protect ruth he uses his authority he uses his power, he uses his influence to protect the weak. And this is where godly men, if you run a business or if you have influence or if you have power or if this is the position that God has placed you in, you use that to protect. You use that to support. 
You use that to help. And that's what he's doing in this passage. And that's what the Spirit of God is doing through him. Then we see at the end of verse number nine where Boaz provides Ruth with something to drink when she gets thirsty. She's out in the fields. The sun is blaring down on her. They're wearing a lot of cloth that would have been very warm in that day and age. And he says to her, hey, if you ever get thirsty, you can drink from where the, the servants and where my, my people drink from. Just go, You're, it's free. Provides for her, takes care of her. In verses number 14, Boaz even takes care of her meals. He says at any point if you get hungry, he says, I want, you, you're allowed to eat of the food that my, my servants are eating from. He says, it's yours, you can have it. He, he uses his wealth, he uses his money, he uses his resources, he uses his power, he uses his influence to help, to serve, to be a blessing. And if God has blessed you in that way, that is the, that's, that's, your, that's also your responsibility. That's also what the Spirit of God wants to do through you. In fact, in verses number 15, 16, and 17, you're going to see where Boaz even gives Ruth extra food to take home. He gives her bags and, and just loads it up. He says, I, 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 know what, I know what God said. I know you're allowed to pick up that which was left over. He says, I want to bless you with even more. There's just a spirit of generosity that we see flowing from this wealthy man who loved God. And so God now uses Boaz. God uses his wealth, he uses his authority, he uses his influence, he uses his power to providentially provide beyond anything that Ruth could have even imagined. And so we see, first of all, in Naomi, we see this heart of bitterness. And then secondly, we see in the remaining verses, we see this hand of, of providence through God's sovereignty, working behind the curtain, through these divine appointments that God set up between Ruth and, and Boaz. But it doesn't stop there. Let's just keep reading. Notice verse 19. The Bible says, And Ruth's mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And, and where did you work? He says, she says, Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is, is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, notice this, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, Boaz also said to me, you, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all the harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth again, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. She, he, he, she says, stay, stay in that field with Boaz. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz and gleaned until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law there. I want you to notice a couple of things about this passage we just read. N notice, first of all, notice that uh, it's it, no longer she referred to as Mara. No, several times it says Naomi, verse 20. Naomi, verse 21. You can almost sense in the way that Naomi is talking three times, she says, blessed, blessed, blessed. It's not bitterness anymore. There's no bitterness. There's no irritation. There's no cynicism. At the end of chapter number one, her identity was that of a 
bitter, cranky woman. And now we get to the end of chapter number two and we see somebody who's better, not bitter. Somebody who's blessed and recognizing on a couple of occasions that this blessing came from the Lord. What made the difference between the end of chapter one and the end of chapter number two? I'm gonna tell you, God's invisible hand of providence. A hand she could not see, a voice she could not hear, interceded on her behalf and on behalf of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Her bitterness had been turned to blessing due to the the providence of God, which leads us to the final thing I want you to to recognize today. We, We saw heart of bitterness at the beginning of the message, which led to the hand of providence and And now we're going to see this, this incredible hope of blessing. There's an optimism that you sense in in Naomi's heart again. You you sense this, all of a sudden, here's Ruth, and and she's been well-fed, and she's been taken care of, and she's coming home with all of this food, and she's got bags full of groceries and a big smile on her face. What happened? God's invisible hand of providence had worked through Boaz, and it brought a hope of incredible blessing. What I love about this passage is that we see Ruth pursuing God. Pastor Nick preached last week where she declares, Naomi, your God is going to be my God. Your people, my people. And she pursues this true and living God. And it's amazing that as Ruth pursued this true and living God, God took care of the rest. While I was in college, as most of you would know, I went to Bible college and I was feeling led to go into full-time ministry to be a pastor, a a Bible teacher, a preacher of the Word of God. And I spent uh, nearly four years going to college specifically to train and and get ready for many of these things that I would be involved in later in my life. But in order to get through, there were bills that had to get paid and, and so I had to work a job and and in my senior year, I, I worked for a particular company that had locations all over the country. I got involved and just did the best I could to you know, really work hard. And literally after a couple of weeks, I got pulled out of the warehouse and they put me in one of the offices. They, they figured I was young and knew how to use computers. And so they taught me the computers and how to track orders and all those things. And for a few weeks, I was doing that. And then just out of the blue, got promoted again, started working in the finance office. And I was literally in charge of all the currency that came through the offices. And I had, had to count it all, made sure it was all there, kind of keep it all accountable. And, and it just seemed like there was kind of this opportunity to get promotion after promotion and and literally within a few months I I was sitting down with the regional director of our company I was out at lunch with him and the regional director he sat me down he says hey I've heard some good things about you he said uh, man we're really excited to have you on board he said uh, he said I want I want to throw something out at you he says I've heard you're going to like Bible college or something and I said yeah I'm going to Bible college I I said I really feel like God wants me to be a preacher I'm gonna I'm gonna preach and teach the Bible he says, oh, that's, that, sounds, that sounds nice. <laughs> he said, but uh, I want you to think about maybe something else. He says, I, I, I've kind of heard about how you're doing and, and kind of some of the different roles you've been, you've been filling. He, said, he says, I want, I, want to, I want to ask you to consider, possibly once you're done graduating and you, and you get your degree, he says, I want you to consider maybe, maybe, maybe not doing, you know, that chur- church thing. And he says, I want you to come and, and kind of work full time for us. 
He said, now, I'll just, I'll say this. He says, you know, if, you, if you'll do that, he says, uh, you know, he says, really very quickly, we're going to get you into a position where you'll be making six figures. Now, to a young 20-year-old, 21-year-old, who'd been through Bible college making very little, that was a moment, and I was like, wow. Six figures right around the corner. I remember having to go back and, you know, <laughs> told a couple of my friends in my dorm room about it. I said, man, this is crazy. I said, man, I was going to go into ministry. I was going to preach the Bible, you know, these type of things. And now he's offering this position. A few days later, I, I was talking to that regional manager. And he says, hey, have you, have you come up with anything yet? You know what you're going to do? I said, man, I'm just praying about it. I'm just trying to seek the Lord on it, you know, and those type of things. He said, he said now, I, I want to throw this at you because I, I really need you to understand what, what, we're, what we're putting out here. He said, uh, he said we, really, we really could see you being on track to, to get into a position that, the person who's currently in that position makes a quarter of a million dollars a year with bonuses and salary. He says, I, I really don't think it would take that many years for you to be in that position. I'm like, man, now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I mean, this guy seemed like a great guy and everything, but I didn't fully believe him. So I, I went to the guy who had that position. I said, hey, man, I said, I said, a regional manager was telling me that, you know, this position, you know, six figures, and then maybe eventually you get there, and there's these bonuses. I said, is that, like, is that like true? He said, absolutely. He said, I'll tell you this, Josh. He said, last year, just my bonus. He says, I was able to take it and buy my mom a house in cash. I was like, what? I remember for the first time really just having to like kind of wrestle with, I knew God was calling in a ministry. I knew that God wanted me to pursue this and I really felt like it was God calling me to do something. But now for this, this first time, I'm, I'm really having to step back and ask myself, is this really what I want to do in light of these very real opportunities? A few days later, the regional director reached out to me. He said, hey, you made a decision yet? You know what you're going to do? And I remember telling him, and I said, you know what, I, man, I really appreciate the opportunity. I think it's great, but I really feel like I'm just going to keep pursuing what God's laid on my heart. I'm going to teach the Bible, maybe if the Lord allow me to preach around the country or teach in a church. I just feel like that, that's what God's doing. And I, I tell you that story to say this. Just like Ruth we don't chase blessings. Let me say that again. We don't chase blessings. We chase God. But what's interesting is when we chase God, oftentimes his blessings start chasing us. And I'm so thankful, as the Bible says in Proverbs chapter number 22, in the scriptures say, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, notice this, and he addeth no sorrow to it and riches. We see a heart of bitterness in Naomi which led to God's hand of providence and then eventually this, this hope of blessing that Ruth experienced through Boaz. So in conclusion, I want to encourage you with this. Even in difficult seasons, and maybe you're here today and you find yourself in a difficult economic situation or a difficult just season of life where you're busy 
and overwhelmed or maybe there's just problems that are going on in your marriage or with your kids, I, I want to just simply say this. Even in difficult seasons, I want to encourage you to rest. Rest in God's hand of providence. Even in the midst of difficulty, that your heart would be at peace, that your soul would be at rest, knowing that God's invisible hand of providence is working all things together for your ultimate good and for His ultimate glory. And you can trust Him. You can trust Him. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.